everyone, it's Jeff Anderson. And this is Buck Green. And this is the Modern Combat and Survival Friday Reload for the week of September 1st, 2014. And we have a lot of great stuff. Actually, we had a lot of conversation this week, and it kind of follows up to what we were talking about last week with this this concept of the militarization of America and everything that's happening with Ferguson, Missouri. But we also have great news about the podcast and lots of new things coming up for you. So listen in. Let's go ahead and check this out. And we're going to start with... Hey, Buck, why don't you lead us off with um, kind of where we left off last week, which was everything that's going on in Ferguson, Missouri. So we, we promised that we'd be posting more on this stuff and kind of like the untold stories. And, and uh, I think we really came up with that this week. So why don't you go ahead and get us started? Well, the, the post that we put up is called The Militarization of America, Program 1033 and the Coming Collapse. Um, I kind of hate this topic because it's so tempting to look at it as a bunch of wild-eyed, tinfoil hat raving, you know, the type of Cold War, you know, the end is coming type of uh, uh, hysteria. And unfortunately, this is a very real thing. The, The trend that we saw in Ferguson begins with something called Program 1033, which is an outgrowth of the National Defense Authorization Act which essentially distributes surplus military equipment at no or very little cost to law enforcement agencies. As a result of this program, and this is, again, it's a very real thing. This isn't like, you know, a conspiracy theory. You've got mine-resistant armored vehicles, grenade launchers, armored personnel carriers, and, of course, lots and lots of assault rifles in the hands of law enforcement agencies. And that's been going on since the 1990s. Uh, You might think, well, you know, we don't want our cops to be outgunned. But the result is the nuts, the the craziness that we saw in Ferguson, Missouri, where their response to essentially civil unrest over the death of this uh, teenager was to put armored vehicles and tripod-mounted machine guns on the streets. Um, There was a video floating around YouTube a while back of a cop who was essentially pointing an AR-15 in the face of a guy in, in the passenger or in the driver's side of a car. And it was a flagrant abuse of policy. Like, you're not supposed to point a gun at somebody unless you're getting ready to shoot them. And I forget what the context of a traffic stop was, but this cop is just pointing his gun at the guy's face like, I will kill you over nothing. Oh, right. That attitude is the heavy-handed militarization of police attitude that so many people are upset about. Um, And and as you wrote, you know, what worries us is this police response to what in some cases started as peaceful protests and in other cases became violent with, you know, rocks and Molotov cocktails. Well, nobody, nobody expects the police to just sit there and take it when firebombs are being thrown at them. But parking an armored vehicle and, and pointing a machine gun at somebody is also a little extreme in a country where protests are supposed to be legal. Um, you know, the federal government has been arming community peacekeepers with the latest military technology because they know when that there's when there's a wide scale collapse, they're going to need that kind of of tough response to clamp down and create order. And the thing to remember here is that order is not necessarily something that benefits you. The government's goal is to stop the unrest. It isn't to save you specifically. And that's one of the reasons that we harp on those warning signs of a collapse so that you can know ahead of time when something bad is coming so that you can get out of the way of it. And one of those things would be avoiding riots and civil unrest like this. Yeah. And I think, um, and you, and you kind of nailed it in the end there, which was the whole point, uh, I guess, uh, 
of the, well, not I guess, but this was the whole point of our post was that, you know, people really need to wake up that there is stuff going on behind the scenes. Don't, it's, it's not conspiracy. In fact, um, you know, when we do the, the, what do you know, in the end, I mean, at the end of this uh, broadcast, you know, I, I had some wake up calls when it came to this and I feel like I'm, I've kind of got my radar up pretty good, but you know, this is all pressure testing. Like it's, you know, if you um, you think in the military terms, you know, if you're going to attack an objective, you know, a lot of times you'll send out a recon uh, force to to test out what their defenses are. Like, where are their people? How do they react during an ambush? How do they react? You know, like y- you test what the enemy is going to do so you know how to attack them when you finally put your main offensive on. Well, this is kind of a pressure testing. Like you can see here that when there are protests like this, now, now the defenses come out like, wait, what? Uh, wh- wh- where did you get those vehicles? <laughs> you know, it's like, whoa, 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 I didn't know you guys had gas masks. Wait a minute. We're, you know, we're Ferguson, Missouri for crying out loud. So, and, um, and what's happened is a lot of communities are starting to see this now. What, like, what, when did you guys get, you know, when did you guys start carrying MP5s on the back of your motorcycles? You know, it, so this is like a good pressure testing to see, okay, what can you expect if, and if slash when a collapse happens, such as like a complete economic meltdown, which a lot of people say is is not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And and this is this is really what you what you see. And so what I think is the biggest takeaway is kind of what you just said, which was the police force is not there to come save you in your home when you have a bunch of pro- bunch of looters and protesters th- firebombing your house when you're in there with your family. Because this is what they're going to be doing. There's, if they're out, if you, if they have people rampaging through your community, looting houses, breaking windows, um, firebombing convenience stores, and things like that, then, you know, realize that there's something bigger happening elsewhere in your city than just your neighborhood, your block. And so the MRAPs and everything are going to be, you know, they're going to be around city hall protecting the mayor or whoever. And this is what you're going to see in the protest areas. There's going to be a full force there and they're not going to come save you. You're on your own. And so that was kind of our whole point was that, you know, number one, wake up that this is happening and and our biggest message all the time. And this is what we cover in our survival gear secrets in the, in the five warning signs of a collapse is that if the government is preparing for wide scale civil breakdown, shouldn't you be preparing also? And let me talk about that in, in one of the next posts that I'll go over a little bit later. Well, you know, I, I always go through the comments of, of all these posts because there's so much interesting stuff. And I have to admit, I also do a little bit of surfing just to see the, the debate that you end up getting yourself dragged into. <laughs> me but, personally, uh, yeah. <laughs> there, there, was a, there was a post by a fellow going by the name Justin Agent that I thought was really good that kind of highlighted everything about this issue. He wrote... Um, I'm less concerned about military equipment in the hands of state and local law enforcement than I am about what I perceive as a change in the way the current generation of officers are taught to think and act. He says, I began my law enforcement career back in the early 70s. One of the first things covered in the academy was the Constitution, specifically those portions pertaining to the rights I would take an oath to protect. I was taught to obey all lawful orders, but if I was given an order to do anything outside of what the Constitution allowed, I had a duty to refuse to carry it out, as it would be an unlawful order, and just doing my job would not excuse or justify my illegal conduct. 
Some years later, I took a four-year leave of absence for active military duty, at which time I took a similar oath and received the same instructions. Upon my release from active duty, I enlisted in a National Guard unit. A large percentage of that unit were also law enforcement officers. One day, we were asked to complete a survey. One of the questions on that survey pertained to whether we would be willing to assist federal law enforcement agents in the event that certain firearms were outlawed as assault weapons. And because of citizens' refusal to surrender them, it became necessary to forcibly confiscate them. Almost every one of us agreed that we would show up at the armory and draw our assigned weapons. There was also general agreement that when push came to shove, those weapons would not be aimed at our fellow citizens. That was about 20 years ago. Since then, a do-as-you-are-told-and-don't-question-it mentality seems to have crept in, and I am inclined to believe that it is by design. In and of itself, the equipment poses no threat. The real threat is the corpse of New Age law enforcement, or excuse me, the core of New Age law enforcement officers who have little knowledge of or regard for our Constitution and, like good little Nazis, will just follow orders. Um, that that sums it up so beautifully. He was extremely eloquent, so I thought it was worth highlighting. Yeah, it it definitely does. And, you know, we had the same orders in the military. It was like if it was an unlawful order, if it went against the Geneva Hague Convention or, if it, you know, if it was a... Um, an unlawful order, and we didn't, you know, we didn't learn about the Constitution in, in the military. But um, then you were, you were had a duty not to, not to follow it. It was an individual responsibility. Even though you had commanders, you had an individual responsibility of when you pulled the trigger. And you know, I think that um, it's the lines get a little, you know, pretty blurred when it comes to the military. But it was the same thing that we were taught. You know, so. Yeah, I mean that's that's a, an interesting point. My biggest the thing the the big question I have now, and and I should talk about this with some of my law enforcement friends, is is how they perceive this. You know, like if we're starting to break off into into camps now. You know, like I don't know if the across the nation if the law enforcement mindset of those that are active duty because we had some really great comments from people who who used to be in law enforcement on here that are are shocked by where things have gone. But I wonder if Current law enforcement feels like no, you guys, you guys don't understand what we deal with, which I think is true. You know, I think the 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 opinion of of you know we, we get so many stories about now police. There was another shooting. There was another shooting. There was another shooting of a, of an unarmed person. You know, so I feel I wonder if police officers as a whole are feeling persecuted now, and it's becoming a well, screw it. You know, you guys have no clue what you're talking about. So now we you know people want to be in their camps, right? And and I wonder if if law enforcement is starting to, um, uh, my my concern is that their mindset is starting to consolidate as an us versus them, backed by all of these you know military style weapons that they have. My concern is how things progress in a in a breakdown, where they 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 don't they no longer have that. Wait a minute, that's not an unlawful thing. Why am I pointing this rifle at civilians? My concern is that they're they might be getting to a mass mindset of it's the civilians versus us. They don't get us. They persecute us for doing our jobs. We can never do anything right. All they do is put everything that we do wrong on the media. You know, so people are getting this impression of police now that they they shoot dogs, they shoot unarmed citizens, and they're just you know rogue, rogue you know so-called peacekeepers and. So I guess we'll see how this goes, but I'm very I'm very curious about what law enforcement mindset is right now. Well, um, that's definitely the other side of that coin because every time they do their jobs, they run the risk of getting sued or or having charges against them for doing it. 
Yeah. So, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, the next thing uh, that came up this week was Tuesday's podcast, which we finally launched live, and it is available on iTunes now. When it first came out this week, it was not yet approved through iTunes, and uh, but now it is, so now you can go and you can subscribe to the podcast, you can download the podcast. Uh, it's not downloadable from the site, we just kind of post it up there and everything, but um, I'm, and I'm not going to go through everything we covered, but the topic of this week's podcast was Urban Survival Firearms, Arming for the Apocalypse. And this was an interview that Buck actually did with me a little while back. And um, so the, the tables got turned, and I was the uh, the person being talked to this time. And so I was very curious how this was going to go over. This is brand brand new for us. And um, I guess not surprisingly, although I wasn't expecting it, a lot of the comments – we're, well, let me talk about the podcast itself. So I'm not going to go over all the points of the podcast because if you're listening to this podcast right now, um, you know, that's another podcast. Load it up in your MP3 player and listen to it. But well, we wait, <laughs> how much does the podcast cost? What do I have to pay to buy it? Well, reach deep in your pockets and pull out some lint, and that's that's all it costs. So it's a oh, oh, it's free. Yeah, okay. it's I, free. I was part of your insidious plot to inflict free content on the masses. <laughs> yeah. We've covered this in previous podcasts. I think we have. And so I look I, I guess you'll never you'll never please everybody, but I what this one kind of hit me in the gut when people so many people said, "Well, wait a minute. What, I, you know, I don't want to listen why do I have to listen to this for 30 minutes? Where's the transcription?" And you know, it was um it was kind of hit, hit in the gut because, like, this was my, my big baby. Like, I love these podcasts. First of all, I love podcasts. I listen to them all the time. And we have so many incredible experts that when we get – when I get them on the phone and we go through these, um, there's some amazing information there. I always get a lot of great stuff out of them. So I'm really proud of this. I'm really proud of us getting this out there. And I know a lot of you had asked, like, well, wait a minute. I don't want to listen to anything. I want to read it. And I get it. People learn different ways. So – they, um, a lot of people asking for the written transcript, the downloadable transcript for it. And, uh, you know, I guess what I can say is I'm, I'm looking into a way that we can do something similar. We're not going to be doing the transcripts or anything, but I, I think there might be a way that we can make it even better than a transcript. And so I'm, I'm looking into a few things for everybody. But here's I guess this is the overall point is like we provide a lot of information through our magazine, through our blogs, through, you know, webinars, things like that. And. You know, this is a podcast. So if you're not a podcast person, I, I understand, like, where's my where's my readable content? But this is a podcast. And so the purpose of it is to listen to it. And so you can subscribe on iTunes. You can listen. You can download it onto, if you have a smartphone, you can download it onto the smartphone. You can listen to it on the website. And and one of the problems, I think, was that unless you play it in a new window, if you if you leave the page, like it kind of sticks you on our webpage for 30 minutes. And I get that that's a problem. So we're actually working uh, now on like a pop-up player that will kind of hover there in the background. You can go do, you know, Read your email, go to other websites, things like that, and it'll still it'll still play. So um, we're looking for a better way for you to listen to it on the um, blog. We are looking for um, a way that we can give you something readable that you can can take away from it. So we're looking into that. Um, but please understand that this is a podcast. This is the nature of a podcast, and it's just another way to consume content. So um, I, I didn't quite get all of the uh, the kvetching about it. Um, when it was, it's free for well, crying out loud. So, 
I, I think you either get the whole podcast concept yeah. or you're not a podcast user because I use my iPod constantly and I subscribe to several podcasts and I spend a lot of time in the car. So reading that material does me no good at all unless I want to wrap myself around a telephone pole. I listen to stuff constantly. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, music gets boring after a while when you're commuting for a couple hours every day. So I, I use the podcast to keep myself entertained and informed. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, I, I think you just nailed it with, you know, either you're a podcast person or you're not. And this might bring some people over and and make them podcast people, I think, you know, when you listen to it. If you've got that commute to and from work or whatever, it's great to just load this in or, you know. So I, I think people I think people are really going to like it. There's some really good information. If you go to iTunes, you'll see that we already have some um, – there's already a bunch of podcasts in there with some really great um, – some really great – interviews that I've done. So go check it out. Um, this one we talked, we, in this podcast, we talked about all sorts of, um, all sorts of firearms for survival purposes. So this wasn't really necessarily like a home defense weapon or anything. This is like what firearms are specific to survival might be good for you to look at as well as ammunition concerns. And, and, and we even talked about martial law. So again, there's no sense me doing a podcast within a podcast. So if you if you're interested in that topic, go and download the podcast from iTunes. But here's the thing, please, if you are a, a podcast person, listen to the, some of the podcasts in there, and please leave a rating. Like we we're our goal, our mission is to make this podcast really big. There are some very good podcasts that are out there, and we could use your help with it. So if you could just go and subscribe and leave a comment about about. Um, if you know if you like the podcast, leave a comment. Is all I can say. You know, give us a rating. Give us a good rate. We're looking for good ratings, good comments, because we feel like we're we're giving really good information. Okay. So, and what I like best about it, it's not like the reload where I'm just talking with somebody. It's very directed. It's very focused in on giving you just jamming as much actionable information into those those interviews as possible. So it's not just a lot of like back and forth discussion. It's all content. So. Okay. All right. Um, Buck, why don't you go on to the next uh, blog post that we have? And this one's about Ferguson also. What was the title of it? Well, it was called Gun Sales Soar in Ferguson, Missouri. Guess when is the worst time to buy a gun? Um, this topic is, I like, well, like is the wrong word. We had a really cold, rainy summer, so we didn't have a really bad heat wave. What usually happens every summer is the first time there's a bad heat wave, people race to the store and there are all these news reports about how air conditioners are selling out because for some reason people forget that every summer it gets hot and maybe the time to buy an air conditioner is not when it's 95 degrees outside. Um, and it's the same is true when it comes to emergencies like this. Uh, people in Ferguson are... Uh, selling out the local gun stores uh, because all of a sudden they're worried about civil unrest. And it's like, well, this is the absolute worst time to buy a gun. Uh, and there's any number of reasons that that's true. Uh, you know how food flies off the shelves when there's a hurricane coming and you go to buy your bread and your milk and there's nothing there? Well, you know, right now in Ferguson, I'm willing to bet if you go into a gun store, you'd be lucky to be able to buy the gun that you want or, or anything. You know, I don't know how cleaned out the shelves are, but have you tried to buy 22 ammo in the last five years? You know, yeah. it's just, there's, there's not a lot of stuff out there at the best of times. It's gotten to the point now where when you buy a gun, you have to make sure there's ammo on the shelves to go with it. So they, they might not have the gun that you want. Um, and I, I just 
touched on it, they might not have ammo. You know, you could buy a gun maybe and then not have any ammunition to put in it. So how useless is, you know, let's say you live in a state where it's still legal to buy an AR-15 since we've seen all kinds of laws about that lately. Well, you might buy one of those and not be able to buy the ammo for it. You know, so congratulations. You just bought a $1,200 paperweight. Um, the, the other thing is sometimes they close down the gun shops. And now this, I don't believe this is true in Ferguson and, and sort of the uh, the St. Louis suburbs in general uh, have been seeing a rise in concern over this. So it may not be the same everywhere. There may be some areas that aren't as effective. But if you get civil unrest, you get a riot, you get an emergency of some kind, it's not unusual to see the gun stores shut down. I mean, we've seen everything from, you know, unlawful confiscation of firearms by overzealous police to, you know, the, the city saying, oh, you close, don't open. We don't, we don't want you doing that. We don't want you spreading that stuff around. So you may go to buy your gun when you suddenly wake up and go, oh, wow, it's bad out there. Maybe I should have a firearm, and you can't buy it. But there's a couple of more important points here that I think people skip over. What happens when you buy a gun in the middle of a riot? Let's say you were able to buy a gun. You were able to get the ammo for it. You think you're going to get in a lot of range time while you know the world is burning outside your window? You're probably not. So now what you've got is a gun that you don't know for sure will work. Um, in the course of my lifetime, I've owned a lot of guns, and I remember when I was a teenager, my father bought a gun once that was broken when he bought it. So, you know, it's, let's say you buy that gun, you load it, you put it in your pocket, and you, your life, you're going to depend on that weapon, and when the moment of truth comes, you pull it out, and it doesn't work. So the way to test all firearms is to take them out to the range, run a couple hundred rounds through them, and make sure they work. You're not going to be able to do that in an emergency if you just bought your firearm. And then finally, the the... Probably the most important point is if you didn't have a gun in the house until now, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you don't have a whole lot of firearms training. That's not a bad thing. We all start somewhere. But if you didn't own a firearm, you probably weren't spending your weekends training to use it, you know, using a gun you didn't have. So now you're going to depend on for your self-defense in a life or death situation, a weapon that you haven't tested, you don't know that it works, and you haven't trained to use it. So either something's going to go horribly wrong when you try to use it, or you're going to do something that you think makes sense based on what you've seen on TV or whatever else, and then you get arrested, and you're the criminal. You know, that's, that's one of the reasons we, we offer a program called the Bulletproof Self-Defense, which is all about the legal pitfalls of using a firearm to protect yourself. And it, it scares me to death that there are people who don't realize just what they're doing to themselves when they pull the trigger in self-defense. It's not just about whether you succeeded in shooting someone. It's about if you, did you do it right so you don't go to prison. Yeah, and and um, and here's something we didn't we didn't cover this in the post, but well, what was covered in the post in relation to like that training was was that most people, even those that are consider themselves gun experts and have owned a gun already. I'm always surprised by the comments they make on our blog that would absolutely throw them in prison if they ever actually followed it. And if they're not following case law that would that would prove that to them, then they're missing out. And it's just a, a bunch of bravado a lot of times. But the thing is, is that um, even if you are justified, um, w if you were to actually shoot somebody, and this, this was on the blog post, but I think there's a, 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 a correlation we didn't make here. Um, if if there were looters outside, they're running, they're they're coming down your your street and they're breaking windows with rocks or whatever, and somebody tries to like, 
they cra- trying to crash you into it, and you shoot them. Fully justified, no problem whatsoever. You, you, would, you would skate free if a police officer ever showed up. This guy was obviously a, a threat to you. But it's, it's the people are around, like let's say that there's a mob there. When you shoot one person, it goes into a frenzy. And I've seen this in action. I've seen this in action in, in real life. And what ends up happening is that um, those like these are these are people that already, especially in this situation, these people people that already are are feeling like they're being persecuted, and everybody around them around them needs to pay for the um, for the for the problems that they're that they're feeling, or that they feel like they've been unfairly prosecuted or shot or whatever. And so, if you end up harming one of them, all of a sudden you become the target. And now you're in your home trying to fire as, as fast as you can out the window while people are coming around the back. They're, they're firebombing your house. They're setting it on fire, and the, and the fire department's taking them up. So even if you're fully justified, you can trigger a riot on, on you um, by those people that are around you. Now, in relation to that, okay, um, do you really think you're going to get training most of the people listening to this podcast, I, I want to say 95% of you already have a firearm. I, I, I totally get that. And you're th- probably thinking, well, I don't need to worry about the training because I'm already trained. So that's not a problem for me. And you probably, you know, this, this blog post doesn't really correspond to you anyway, because you already have a firearm if you're smart. But here's the thing. What about your neighbors? Like, you know, your you're, you're nice... Um, you know, law-abiding neighbor who also sees the same things you do, that there's rioting going on, that there's a potential threat. And this is the person that goes out and buys a weapon. And they have no, they, they, they finally got, you've been talking with them for years, like, you know, you ought to have a gun. You ought to have a gun. You ought to have a gun. They're like, oh, I don't believe in guns. I don't believe in guns. All of a sudden, once the fires are burning in the distance, they believe in guns. So they go get one. So you're fully prepared. You know everything in this, in this article, but your neighbor doesn't. And so now the people come down the street and they are nervous or whatever, and they see somebody on their front lawn and they come out with a shotgun or a handgun saying, get away from here or I'll shoot you. All of a sudden now your neighbor, 27 feet away, has become the target of this mob. And guess what? Guess who lives next door to the neighbor? That's you. So <laughs> your stupid neighbors can, can get you in just as much trouble when they trigger a rampage right out on your front lawn, even though you were already prepared. So, so I think this, this really applies on a couple different levels. So, yeah, absolutely. Anyway. Okay. So so the last, uh, the last post that we have is called um, a tale of two gas pump robberies, armed response versus intensive care. And this is a case study that um, I kind of looked at with, with two different gas pump robberies because our whole thing from our close combat shooting course is that most most uh, gunfights that a civilian would get into are going to happen because of two things, one of two things, either escalated arguments or ambushes. That that the you're training for you know 15 yards down at the range. That typically that's not going to be the the shooting scenario that you're going to be stuck in. It's going to be up close and personal because. Uh, criminals know that, you know, like they know that they don't have a very good chance and they know that a lot of people are armed. So they're not going to accost you from 15 yards away. It's going to be right up close and they're going to ambush you. So there's a video on this post of a 70 year old grandfather 
who was pumping gas in his car at 4.40 in the morning where you would expect that nobody would be around, nobody except for other criminals. So he's pumping his gas, he's unaware, and you'll see in the video that he's ambushed by two by two um, people in black hoodies with guns, and and basically he's he's knocked out and he and he's robbed. Okay, now he, he got lucky, and you know everything that he did wrong pretty much happened um, before he even you know these guys even even came up to him. But um, anyway, there's an analysis of that, but basically shows that this is a person who became a victim, and but it, but it does go to show also that. These things happen in an ambush format. And you can see how how things really go down inside that video. So that was kind of the um, guy unaware, gets punched in the face, ambushed, knocked down, money taken. He's pretty low. He spent two days in intensive care, almost died, and fortunately he's he's living and you know that's that's the success. You know, he's alive. The other case study is from another very common scenario. If you've ever stopped at a gas station in a city, even if you're just traveling through, you know, I've had people come up to me before and ask for money. Well, you're not going to pull out your gun, you know, or you can trigger something if you just, you know, sit there and just freaking yell at them or whatever. But this was some, this is a case study where somebody was pumping gas at the gas pump. A guy who was obviously drunk pedaled across the street and asked for some change and the guy just saw him in need and it's like okay yeah yeah I've you know what I don't have a bunch of money on me but I've got a bunch of change and if you like I'll I'll go ahead and and give you this change and the guy says okay that's I'll I'll take that and so the guy goes to hand him the change he's like what that's all you've got and the guy said yeah that that's all I've got and he says well why don't you you know you why don't you go there's an ATM machine in there why don't you go get me some money and the guy said no that's that's all I have for you and when when he realized this guy was looking like, well, why don't you go get some money out of the ATM machine? He knew there was a conflict. So he started danger, at, danger, Will Robinson, yeah. danger. And at this time, um, I think this is one of the important points that I hope people get out of this because we don't we haven't it's, it hasn't really posted yet where people are commenting on it. But, you know, when he went in to go get the change, he he lost his awareness with the person that was. Um, you know, still about, you know, five, let's say five, six feet away from him. When he turned around to give the change, the guy was right there at the door. So yeah. the guy is sitting in his, um, you know, the, the victim is, is sitting in the driver's seat, digging for change, turns around. Now he's in the driver's seat and the guy is right on top of him basically saying, well, why don't you go in and get, get your, you know, ATM machine and go in there. And at that point it didn't even, it wasn't even like, okay, hey man, go get your, get your ATM. We're going to go clear it out right now. It was just like, well, hey, why don't, why don't you go do this? That's when the guy, the victim, shifted his hand toward his 1911 that he had in between the console and and the driver's seat, and he, um, and then it's when the guy said, um, no, look, like basically he he was starting to say, no, you don't understand, you're going to take your ATM machine, you know, card and get and go, and that's when he pulled the gun out and pointed at his chest and told him to back off, and the guy did. So an armed response got this guy out of, you know, out of a tight situation, but there are still some things there that potentially went wrong. Like, you know, and, and that's why I hope people tie in the video with this situation because the 70 year old man was knocked out outside of his car and the guy that came up to ambush him closed his car door. Now, normally I always close my car door anyway when I'm fueling gas, but had that happen, are you really going to have time to get in between your driver's side seat and your console? 
most of these ambushes are not going to happen when you're inside of your vehicle. Fortunately, this guy went to go get change where he wasn't it. And that's a very good tactic right there. Like if you think that this guy looks like he's high or whatever, he could be a danger and you realize that you're outside of your vehicle, then, you know, why not say, um, yeah, hold on. Let me go get, let me go get some change for you or whatever. Now you're in your vehicle and you can get your weapon and stick it in your waistband or in your holster or whatever. If you're, if you're leaving it in your car or between your console that could be a good diversionary tactic to go and get it um, so that you're not ambushed outside of your vehicle away from your weapon. A friend of mine refers to it as English lessons. He says, it's amazing how fast putting a gun in someone's face gives them the ability to speak the Queen's English with great <laughs> articulation. You know, it's like, yo, 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 give me your... Pardon me, sir. I will be taking my leave of you now. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Okay. All right. So that's uh, that's the Cliff's Notes version of this week's um, information from the blog. Now, what we'd go into is the what do you know? This is our opportunity to, you know, kind of share with you like what we've learned this week that we didn't know before this week, and share some of the things that we came up with. So, so Buck, what is um, what do you know this week that you didn't know last week? Well, I've been doing some research on ways to keep my precious precious electronic gadgets running in the case of an extended power outage. Uh, round about the time that uh, Occupy Wall Street was happening, I became aware of a device called the BioLite Cancer. I'm sorry, not Occupy Wall Street. There was uh, a Superstorm Sandy, which was also in the New York City area. And in the wake of that, you would see pictures floating around of like all these uh, extension cords plugged into cord after cord after cord, allowing people to charge their phones so that they could stay in touch with people, you know, while they didn't have electricity and while things were still flooded out and they were recovering from the disaster. Uh, this is when I became aware of a device called the BioLite Camp Stove, which is basically a little stove that you can burn things in and cook on top of, but it converts that heat to power and you can plug in a USB cord to charge up your phone or your tablet or whatever. You know, first world problems. Uh, I need my tablet to run and there's no power. Um, so... In researching that, I eventually bought one of those, but I found another device called uh, it's called the Flame Stower Charger, and this is a neat little widget. It, it looks like a almost like a barbecue fork with some kind of weird plastic cup on top of it. Although that might be steel, I haven't actually purchased one yet. You shove that end into any fire, you know, a campfire, and it converts that heat into power to charge your electronic devices. So it's essentially the same thing, but without the the stove enclosure. You just shove it into any flame and it converts that into power. I've heard you talk with me about this before and I've still not, I've still not seen this. Actually, I think I've seen pictures of it, but I've not seen it in action. Well, I, I'm really kind of eager to test one and see just what you can expect to get, especially the flame store, which is uh, one that I've become aware of only recently. I, I kind of would love to just shove one in a fire and see what you can expect. You know, am I going to get a realistic, uh, sustainable charge for my phone, or does it take a really long time? Or you know, you never really know. You're you're doing something that was not intended. Uh, I mean, there are some people. I've got a friend whose phone is really picky about what kind of cable you use with it, and you know, it will only work with some cables and not with others, even though theoretically it's all the same thing. So. You know, it's half of it is sorcery when it comes to electronics. Yeah, I'm still a big fan of my Goal Zero um, solar thing. I take that with me everywhere. That goes in my bag, and 
you know, so I yeah, would I've, I've got a couple of solar chargers from my bug out bags. And, yeah. and uh, the one limitation of the solar chargers, though, is they say that once you start using a solar charger, you need to use it on a regular basis or else it won't be as effective. And I'm not really sure why that is. I guess it has to do with the battery. So. Yeah, I don't know that either. That's weird. Anyway. Okay, so for me this week, it really came from uh, from reader comments and going back to our post on the militarization of America, and we got a ton. We have sixty-seven comments and running still on on this post, and a lot of people are coming in because I basically put a call out for like, what are you seeing in your communities? And and I was shocked. And and so what I know this week that I didn't know last week is that this is much more widespread than I even thought it was. And we had a bunch of people with real-world accounts of what's happened in their in their communities regarding this. And I'll go over kind of a few of these. But um, you know, Aaron uh, called it. Every time I see the word Aaron now, I think A. Aaron. Do you, do you ever watch Key and Peele? Uh, no. On YouTube, look up the um, A. Aaron skit if if it'll come up. But it's freaking hilarious. But every every time I see Aaron, I think A. Aaron now. But um, anyway, the um, the he says the city of Davis, California, a college town of approximately sixty-eight thousand. So it's a small community. It has um, it's ma- mainly just college students, but that recently required an MRAP vehicle. Um, you know, even uh, towns in Michigan, both large and small, are receiving military-grade hardware. So the and, and a Detroit Free Press review of items transferred from the military since two thousand six shows Michigan law enforcement agencies have received. 17 MRAP vehicles, uh, about 1,800 M16 rifles, and um, 696 M14s, 530 bayonets and scabbards. Hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> that, that makes things a little bit scarier on the front line of a protest. But um, And then, uh, let's see, Mike's, Mike call, uh, wrote in, the city of Davis recently ordered the department to get rid of the MRAP vehicles in 60 days. So, you know, maybe stuff's starting to have out there. Fat Jack wrote in, he says, my little town SWAT just tore a perfectly good asphalt parking lot for law enforcement vehicles and replaced it with concrete with a handy drain in the middle, no doubt for much heavier vehicles. Um, I liked old old food, um, Idaho elk and fly guy. Uh, this was a response to Idaho Elk and Fly Guy. I'm a 25-year veteran police officer from Detroit, the armpit of the country, and an eight-year SWAT team member. I'm just guessing, but the day I retired, they could probably have equipped one-third to one-half of the department personally or personnel roughly equal to what the SWAT team standard used to be. What used to be very special and rare is becoming common commonplace. That's the scary part. And um, there was one last one in here. Um, from Cameron. I'm a deputy in a small county in Arkansas. We have two Humvees that are used for stuff. So, I mean, basically, a, a bunch of people, even uh, law enforcement, are shocked by what they're getting. And so, and 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 there's more and more. I mean, like, there's 67 comments in there. And the people are seeing their own communities starting to change, the police force in their communities starting to change. And so, I, di- I didn't realize that it was as bad as as it was like I was I think we were all it was a big wake-up call for everybody with Ferguson Missouri um, and fortunately I think it's kind of you know it's the Wizard of Oz the, the the curtain is being pulled back and we're really starting to see now and I think we're going to see more of it um, because 
we're now seeing that it is widespread. It is happening. MRAPs are on the they're on the assembly line, and they're not all going over to Iraq and Afghanistan now. But it's not like um, the military industrial complex is going to say, "Oh, well, those wars are over. I guess we can stop making these things." No, <laughs> it's like we um, it, where there's profit, there's profit. So um, anyway, I, that's that was my big takeaway from this week. So thanks. I think there are points for using military-industrial complex in a sentence. Yeah, there's a, there's um, I, I really appreciate everybody's comments this week. There's some really good feedback. Um, go and check out the comments also on the firearms podcast. There's a really good um, kind of a, an expose of the AK rifle in there. Um, I kind of went back and forth with um, somebody on there, and they made some really good points about the differences between the AR and the AK and making a decision between the two. There's some really good back and forth there. Go ahead and share your own um, observations if, you're, if you go in there as well. Please feel free to, to, to leave comments on the blog and, um, and let us know what you think. Okay, just um, there's always, like we said, we always learn the most from the people that are our readers because the experience is out there. It's just a matter of sharing it. So anyway, that's all we've got um, for this week. Uh, next week, we'll have another podcast for you and some more great blog comments. So please check it out. And until the next broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson. And this is Buck Green. Saying train hard. Stay safe. Prepare now. Thanks, everyone. has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.